0: In 1990, a small-town New England murder became one of the highest-profile cases of the 20th century. Captivated, The Trials of Pamela Smart is a feature documentary that takes a new look at the case and reveals the deeper story behind the first fully televised trial in the United States. Jeremiah Zagar is the film's director. Here's Jeremiah. The following clip is taken from a discussion that I had with William Hurst um, about memory and I could have made a whole movie <laughs> that was just conversations about memory um, but I don't know if you could have sat through it um, although it's a subject that I am fascinated with as is almost every filmmaker but there were tidbits of those conversations about memory that we couldn't include in the movie that I think you will find very interesting there's three boys that are tried and they're housed together during, I, I think it was three months before trial. Mm-hmm. So they're sitting together and they're going over their stories right. together. Yeah. Can you, and the, the, the prosecution's claim is that that's not problematic.
1: That seems... That's super problematic. What we know about uh, memory and conversation, assuming these boys talked about it, which would be a reasonable assumption, um, is that through conversation, our memories tend to converge on a shared representation of the past. So if you look at how, what, how people remember a particular, let's say you showed them a film or had them read a story, and then you have people talk about their stories, and you look at the overlap of their memories initially and the overlap of their memories afterwards, what you will find is that there's more overlap after the conversations than before. And the more conversations that you have, the more the overlap occurs. Um, So that what will happen inevitably is that they will arrive at a converged or collective or shared representation of the past. And this shared representation of the past need not conform with even be close to what the original was. You can have errors of omission in which, as I said, if you talk about something and leave something out, it becomes less accessible than it ever was before. It really just slowly disappears in in terms of the narrative that you say. So certain telling points which um, the defense could have made something of um, uh, uh, are no longer accessible. They're just not there anymore. They can't get at them, and these become collective. What you forget becomes a collective forgetting uh, and a shared forgetting. Uh, In addition, in your chatter, certain misleading information can come up. Somebody will say somebody, and initially they say, I'm not so sure, but with time, they come to share this completely misleading information, and it becomes part of their narrative. Moreover, I presume that one of the things you would do is you would emphasize and talk about the things which were more self-serving for you. These become reinforced. So you can get some information, presumably the self-serving information reinforced. You have some misleading information, which I assume also may be self-serving, is uh, um, introduced and becomes shared across all three individuals. And you have information because of the conversation rapidly becomes inaccessible and I would assume that this is also the information that is probably not convenient for them to remember. So through these conversations, you can come to a shared representation of the past, which would be not at all akin to what each individual remembered initially, and yet it becomes a compelling, confidently held, um, uh, shared view.
0: So you're saying it's very possible that simply by having the voice in a room together. Prior to trial, they could have been reconstructing their own memories. Basically,
1: yeah, I think it's not very. Po- I think it's very possible. Uh, I think, uh, and if you're talking about three months, uh, and not just one conversation, three months, I would say that their testimony by the end of that three months, uh, that there's a reasonable probability that uh, it has um, come to be a representation constructed out of. Uh, um, uh, their shared, discussed views, rather than their initial um, memories prior to their incarceration, so I, yeah, I, 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 it's very bad police practice, as far as I can tell.
0: So, if the media was for a year proclaiming Pam Smart's guilt, what 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 relationship does that have then on the communal memory of people in New Hampshire?
1: Well. Uh, my senses, not only do they proclaim her guilt, they also portray aspects of the case that reinforces their conclusion. So it's not a simple mantra, she's guilty, she's guilty. I assume any reasonable reporter will then mount a little narrative around her guilt. Uh, And I'm probably more interested in the mounting of the narrative because not only will you hear that she's guilty, you will come to have construct whatever information you know it will sort of if you like attach itself to the narrative that the media is is, is presenting and um, you will come to see a narrative that reinforces that mantra that she's guilty. One of the things that society does is provides us with narratives, with frames of understanding the world. Those narratives allow us to remember things well. Uh, we fit these disparate events into these narratives that society is giving us, in this case the media is giving us, and we also know once you have this narrative frame, if things that occur, which new facts arise, which do not fit well into that narrative frame, those facts tend to be forgotten. It is very hard to sort of reorganize your memory. It's a lot of work to reorganize. It's better to just let those little disconcerting facts fall by the wayside.
0: Now available digitally on iTunes and Amazon and on disc wherever DVDs are sold.